Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Here with me at the podium is the Minister for Education, Sport and Culture, and on Zoom we have the Minister for Health and Social Care and our Director of Public Health. Let me start by handing over to Minister Ashford for an update on testing numbers from the last 24 hours, and I know David also has some updates. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The total number of tests undertaken is 34,538. At the point the snapshot was taken, all of those tests had been concluded. So at the time of the snapshot, there was no one awaiting test results. The total number of new cases in the last 24 hours is 59, bringing our total case count to 605. We have 163 active cases and we have two of those active cases in hospital. In terms of other updates, in light of the current outbreak within, D within the, in the island, within DHSC, we have had to assess our medical services and what services we can continue to operate safely. With the increasing numbers of people having to self-isolate, this has naturally had an effect on our staffing as well. We will be focusing on urgent and emergency care for the foreseeable future, including our COVID response of testing and vaccinating, and will redeploy staff as necessary to keep those services running. We will be continuing with cancer and screening services, and we ask people to continue to attend those appointments. Outpatients, diagnostics and electives will be restricted to urgent and emergency only for now, and we will reassess this at the end of next week. The winter period always prevents difficulties around the number of side rooms we have in the hospital, as winter often means more infectious diseases being treated in hospital, which also require people to be isolated in a side room. It has come to the point where we need to open additional capacity to allow more side rooms to be made available to accommodate our COVID-positive patients, those in hospital that we suspect may test positive, and those required to isolate due to recent travel. And also those with other infections that require isolation. As a result, we have decided to open Ward 19, otherwise sometimes known as the private patient's unit, initially to seven beds to provide these additional side rooms. In order to staff this area, we have made the difficult decision to suspend elective orthopaedic surgery in order to release staff from Ward 12 to staff Ward 19. We have decided to adopt this plan over several others proposed as it allows major elective operations such as cancer and clinically urgent surgery to continue and it does not affect the running of the women's health ward which is Ward 4. We ask that patients do not contact the hospital to confirm whether their procedure is going ahead as administrative staff are currently working through the booked operations over the coming weeks and discussing clinical urgency with the consultant surgeons. We hope that everyone will have received a phone call in the first half of next week. Due to the unknown length of the lockdown, we are not able to provide a new date at this point for cancelled patients. However, we hope to confirm an alternative date as soon as possible. Where possible, we will be moving clinical consultations online using virtual clinics. Daycare services and facilities have also been suspended, but with support for severely vulnerable families and service users continuing. These measures are necessary to ensure our health services can remain resilient and focus on the COVID response and all the measures in place will be reviewed weekly. 
I also know there's been some confusion online over the use of grandparents and relatives for, for childcare purposes after last night's announcements over school closures. We are advising that children from different households should not mix. So what does that actually mean for essential workers? Under the regulations, if you are an essential worker and you have to go to work and there is no one in your home to look after the children, you can still use grandparents or close relatives for childcare purposes to cover when you are at work. What it means is there should not be children from multiple households being cared for at the same time. This rule does not, however, include the children who ordinarily live in the household where the care is being given. So, for example, this does not mean if your sister or brother or ex-partner has children of their own, they can't care for your child. What it means is they can't look after children of multiple different relatives from different households at the same time. It is limited to care of children from one household being cared for by one other household. I also know, speaking of children, that this is a worrying time for many young children in our community with the way the virus has spread amongst young people and who might be frightened and not necessarily understand what is going on. So I'd just like to reassure all those children out there that it is perfectly normal to feel anxious or even scared. And please do talk to your parents and other adults about any concerns or worries that you may have. These are scary times for all of us, but this won't last forever. We will return to normal and you will get back to your day-to-day -day routine of school and meeting with friends and doing all the things that you love to do. So for now, we have to do things a little different from normal. And that will seem strange. But please, don't worry. Things will go back to the way they were. It will just take a little time. Also, in closing, before handing back to the Chief Minister, can I ask that people remember that our essential services, such as pharmacies and shops, are operating under great strain at the moment? Unfortunately, there has been an uptick in reports of people being abusive to workers in these settings. I know we are all frustrated by the current restrictions, but please, let's show that community kindness to our frontline workers that our island is so rightly proud of. I've also been contacted by people who have tested positive, upset by some comments on social media, that they feel it's being portrayed as if they must have done something wrong in order to contract the virus. The virus is a dreadful disease that no one wants to contract. And even with the best precautions, there is always a risk that any of us could come down with it. So please think of the impact on others before you post. And let's think about those who, have, who are trying to cope with this virus, who are having to go through isolation and trying to recover from the virus as well and again show them the community kindness of which we are all so proud. Thank you, Chief Minister. And thank you very much, David, for that update. As you can see, cases continue to rise fast. This morning, the team told me that we are now dealing with around 700 close contacts of people who have tested positive. This is an increase of around 200 in the last 24 hours. The advice that the Council of Ministers was given this morning is that we are still not at the peak of cases. There is more to come 
and I need you to be ready for that. Yesterday we heard from our Director of Public Health that all of the cases we have seen in recent weeks have been the Kent variant. We know that the Kent variant is highly transmissible. This is one of the key reasons that we judged that we had to take the difficult decision to go into this lockdown. And this is why we need to be incredibly careful in everything we do at the moment. I know that this third lockdown is tough. But the way that we ensure that it ends as soon as possible is to follow the rules as tightly as possible. This is in your hands. I will hand over to our Director of Public Health in a second for her update. Before I do, I would like to pick up on something that caught my attention at the Council of Ministers briefing this morning in relation to the increase in positive tests. I think we need to be careful when we compare the numbers we are seeing now with the numbers we saw back during our first outbreak almost a year ago. Last time, we did not have the on-island testing capacity we do now. It is true that we are finding more at the moment, but we are looking harder and testing more. Over the next couple of days, we will be sharing with you some different graphs so that you can look at some of the data yourself. Let me hand over to our Director of Public Health for her view on what we are seeing. Dr Hewitt. Thank you, Chief Minister. So today, in order to help us understand what we're seeing, I wanted to go through with you a bit of a breakdown of the actual numbers that we have as active cases. So as Minister Ashford shared with us, we currently have 160 active cases. And those break down into three, which are people who've travelled who are in self-isolation. Then we have 64 locally acquired, but cases that we can link to the known cluster. And then 24 at the moment that are unexpected, unexplained. We can't link to the cluster. And then there are another 69 where contact tracing is still ongoing. Uh, then if we start looking at the age group, uh, we see that 70 of the 160 active cases are in children and young people aged between 0 to 19. Most of the remaining cases are in adults up to age 54, and there are actually very few cases in those aged over 55, and none at all in those aged 80 or over. So what we can take from that is although this outbreak started with adult infections, it very quickly moved into households where there were children and the children became infected. The children were out and about at social events, extracurricular events and then in schools. So this is how we've ended up with a situation where it appears that children and young people are now the driver of the, um, the transmission. If we look at occupation, um, 65 of the cases are in fact students or school children and 11 are school staff, teachers and childcare staff um, who have obviously been in contact with those children. So we're seeing a very clear pattern there um, with not much that is obviously being driven from other groups. We're not seeing a driving of transmission from um, construction workers, for example. We have a, over 30 office workers who are current cases, but they tend not to be linked. They're dispersed across different office settings. And clearly, the obvious thing that we need to think about there is actually really reinforcing the work from home message to stop those interactions if they're not absolutely essential. 
Okay, thank you, Chief Minister. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Ewart. And please pass on my thanks to your team and all colleagues who are working so hard to identify and isolate the virus. Now, Dr. Ewart mentioned the fact that we are seeing large numbers of cases among our young people. This is why we took the tough decision last night to close our schools today to create a firebreak. The virus spreads when people mix, and so we need to do all we can to minimise that mixing. We need to break the chains. And I need to reiterate that if you have children, please do not let them mix with children from other households wherever possible. This is crucial to prevent transmission and to let us get out of this lockdown as soon as possible. I would now like to bring in the Minister of Education, Sport and Culture to give us an update. Alex. Thank you, Chief Minister. The Council of Ministers acted decisively last night when it became apparent that the safety of our school children had been compromised. Increasing cases amongst pupils at a range of locations left no alternative. I apologise for the disruption this has caused to families and students. Only four days ago, we identified the first pupil who had become infected, almost certainly at home. Since then, the virus has been brought into a number of schools on the island. My concern last night was the risk that schools might be feeding the spread of the virus into our community. The safety of our children, teaching and support staff has been and continues to be our paramount concern. We need to do all we can to minimise the risk of the virus spreading, but we must also weigh up the consequence of the actions we take and the wider impact they may have on our society. Last night, putting in place a firebreak to stop the chain of infection in our schools was determined as an important and, we hope, effective way to reduce community transmission. Contact tracing and testing will continue, but self-isolation and breaking the person-to-person -person spread of COVID-19 remain our best weapon to get on top of the current situation. The Council of Ministers will be meeting over the weekend to review how we can ensure this action does not in any way compromise frontline service delivery and will ensure we update all those affected families ahead of next week. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Alex. And as you say, the Council of Ministers will be meeting over the weekend so that we can give families as much notice as possible of what next week will look like. When we considered the data this morning, one of the big concerns was around office workers, as Dr Ewart has just mentioned. This was the other environment where we saw considerable spread. This has to stop. I once again have to ask all employers to ensure that only people who are absolutely essential go into the office. If we need to legislate on this, we will. But I hope that employers will make the right decisions for their community and their island. And if people believe that their employers are acting unreasonably and putting them at risk, then they should contact worksafe at gov.im. The Council of Ministers this morning considered what else we need to do to break the chains of infection. We carefully considered advice from public health and others. We have decided to make some changes and I want to go through them now. We have decided, and you may have seen an announcement earlier today, that we will require all construction work to cease for an initial two-week period. While we have not seen particular hotspots relating to construction, we do want to remove as much risk as possible of transmission. We are content for those who work outside and alone or with one other person, so
so builders, window cleaners, outdoor painters and gardeners, for example, to continue for the moment, provided that it has no more than two people with full mitigations, including masks and social distancing, in place. Work on vacant properties is permitted, subject to that two-person rule. Work on critical national infrastructure can continue. Construction workers who are now unable to work may be able to claim the Manx Earnings Replacement Allowance from Monday. An announcement earlier in the week, the mirror that mirror has been increased from this for this circuit break by £30 per week to £230 per week. This includes workers who are employed but either made redundant, laid off or placed on nil pay by their employer and the self-employed who are unable to carry out their work due to these latest restrictions. Further information about the eligibility criteria for claiming MIRA and a link to the online application form is available on gov.im or queries can be directed to the dedicated helpline on 648125. That's 648125. Employees in the construction industry who now find that they are experiencing a reduction in revenue of at least 25% may be able to claim the salary support payment to assist with salary costs for their employees. For this circuit break, this is to be increased by £30 per week to £310 per week per full-time equivalent. We have covered that the way to break the chain of transmission is to stop mixing. I know there is a thriving buy, sell and exchange community on the island. For now, this activity will need to pause. These changes will come into effect from midnight tonight. Now I know that this will cause disruption, but once again we need to minimise mixing to stop spread. We will of course regularly review and as we have said before, we only keep measures in place for as long as we judge that they are necessary. Before I go to questions from the media, I would like to pick up on a really important point. For many of you, staying at home is not easy, and for some, it might be impossible. If you find yourself in that position, help is on hand. Anyone that is experiencing domestic abuse in their own home, you must not suffer in silence. It is not an offence to move to another property to flee domestic abuse. If you are living in fear of violence, then please call 999 and ask for help. Victim Support and Women's Aid both offer help and support. So if you or someone you care about need support, please give them a call. And the numbers are on the screen. Let's go to questions from the media, and first we have Rob Pritchard from 3FM. Good afternoon, Rob. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. Uh, my first question, I just want to go back to this point that's been raised a few times about the timing of announcements. We had two late last night, one about the Bridge Inn in Lapsi being a high-risk venue, and of course schools as well. This will have given parents and carers very little time to make arrangements in terms of their children. Surely, do you accept that with these late night announcements, there has to be a change from yourselves in government to make these announcements sooner so that people can actually prepare where possible and adapt more quickly. Well, I can't accept that. I want to do that, Rob, I hasten to add, but I can't accept the implied criticism because we don't get the figures of the cases until late at night. That's just the way um, it, it, it happens. So we don't intentionally... Um, 
think we, we're getting these figures at two o'clock in the afternoon. Let's not have a meeting till nine, ten o'clock at night. The minute we get this data, the officers ring me. I set up a meeting of Council of Ministers. I think I found out about nine. By 9.30, I had all the ministers online. We had a good discussion. We agreed that we had to take this action straight away. Now, we were faced with two options. One, do nothing and wait until the morning, by which case parents have got no notice uh, and the, the schools are about well, are closed and they've got no chance of making any provision, or B, we put out an urgent press release that, that this, as soon as we possibly can advising people. Now, I know it's late, that's not how we want to operate, but faced with the choice of either waiting till the following morning and giving very little time at all, or going out the night before, we felt it important to do it late at night. Now, it's not something we want to do, but that's just the reality of the life we're living at this moment. I think Alex might like to speak on this, and uh, I think David might like to come in too. So, Alex yeah, first. Thank you, Chief Minister. And I, and I think, as I said um, in my address, we had to act decisively. On Monday night, when we found the first pupil at one of our schools had contracted coronavirus, we communicated that and then gradually closed schools down the following day. And, and that was the right thing to do at that point when we had one case. What we were faced last night was widespread cases across a wide variety of locations in terms of childcare, including some where, where we have some quite vulnerable children. And that was the reason for the concern. Now, I regret any inconvenience to, to parents, but I hope they, they will um, acknowledge that this had to be done very, very quickly. Because as, as I've already said, I'm not prepared to allow a young child, a young person, or in fact one of our valued members of staff to wa walk into a, a school which we know could be unsafe. So we had to act really quite quickly and make that difficult decision last night and then communicate it as much as possible. I'm certainly grateful to the media for putting out the press release and broadcasting it, this on radio and through their um, social media sites. David, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, if I may, Chief Minister, I mean, the, the lab is processing results continuously um, and that's late into the night as well. So there are sets of results. We don't get the result from, from the lab till eight, nine o'clock at night. What happened last night was the picture only really began to sort of emerge of how widespread this problem was, particularly around children at around about 8pm last night. As the Chief Minister said, he was notified, I think just before nine, then a Council of Ministers was convened within literally within 30 minutes of that to make the decision around schools. And the press release, I can't remember what time the press release eventually went out, but it wasn't much after Council of Ministers had finished. So we did literally get the communication out to the public pretty much in real time that the decision was taken. Um, unfortunately, there will be sometimes these late nights. And again, I think I've discussed it here. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If we don't go out and we save it to the next day, then people are already getting the children ready for school. People have already got their routine or for that day, maybe even already underway. Um, we needed to take decisive action. So we put it out as quickly as we knew the situation. But unfortunately, that was a late hour at night. And as this situation emerges, there will always be occasions where some things will need to be announced late at night or early in the morning. I hope that reassures you, Rob. Of course, we don't want to make a habit of this. Sadly, we don't seem to get data at, at nine o'clock in the morning at a civilised hour. It seems to be late at night and we have to react straight away for the benefit of everyone. But I, I do appreciate it's unsettling, but we do stand by the fact that we felt it was right to go out last night rather than wait until this morning for all the reasons that we've given. 
Okay, Rob, your next question. Okay, thank you. Second question, again, just with regards to children and young people. Given the stories we've seen in the likes of the UK and beyond of more children and teenagers suffering with long COVID, what support will be available here to young people in that regard? Okay, Alex, would you like to go into that? And then yeah. um, David might want to uh, expand on that. Yeah, I mean, for, from a medical point of view, and I'm, I'm sure um, Ms. Strashford and Dr. Ewart can also comment on this, that the whole essence of long COVID is still a developing field. We know in adults it can be up to 10% of people who have residual symptoms going on for six weeks or, or longer. And in fact, the chief minister has commented on his own symptoms, the way those have gone on. We're still not quite sure how much it affects younger people and children because often they have a much milder illness. But there are um, anecdotal evidence of, of people constantly having sort of fatigue and other symptoms, muscle aches and pains afterwards. Now, obviously, what this needs is a multidisciplinary approach using decent diagnosis, making sure they don't have any other complaints after a coronavirus infection, but also using things like psychological um, work, physiotherapy and occupational therapy. And certainly this is something that I know the paediatricians at Nobles Hospital are very aware of. I hope it won't be a major problem on our island, but certainly we have the facilities here to deal with young people with complex problems. And that may, in the future, perhaps include those people who develop the long-term complications of coronavirus. Thank you, Alex. David, is there anything you would like to add? And um, Dr. Hewitt? Yeah, just before bringing the Director of Public Health, Chief Minister, and I'm sure she'll correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly from what I've seen around this with long COVID, while there's evidence base for adults emerging, the evidence for children at the moment with long COVID seems to be very light. There doesn't seem to be the same effect or after effects of the virus in children that have been seen in adults. It's certainly not um, widespread in the way that it is with adults, with some people, um, for instance, reporting that their, their taste and smell does not return, or those who are suffering aches and pains, um, or even breathing difficulties with long COVID. That evidence base doesn't seem to be there for children. So it's looking at the moment, but again, the evidence is out because this is a, this is a new virus and we're learning every time. But certainly from what I've seen, the evidence at the moment suggests that in relation to long COVID, it's a bit like the virus itself it has less of an effect on children but i'll bring the director of public health in yes i don't really have very much to add to that since you summarized it very clearly the evidence base just isn't there at the moment thank you okay thank you all for, for contributing to that multi-layered answer for for rob now we move on to tim glover from manx radio good afternoon tim fast am i fast am i uh, obviously we've got the twin problems of uh People self-isolating, for example, we heard from the Chief Constable uh, Gary Roberts today that he has over 50 officers in isolation and we've also got people unable to work because of childcare issues. So I guess with our vital services, including shops, including emergency services, including the testing team and 111 team, is the answer here that we've got to find some sort of childcare solution to it otherwise these services may be in danger of being overwhelmed somewhat yeah tim you're absolutely right and that's what the um, i've asked for a subcommittee of the council of ministers to work on between now and tomorrow so that the council of ministers can consider this i don't know alex if you want to um discuss yeah. that yeah i'm i mean Tim, we, we, we know that childcare is incredibly important for those frontline services. And as you say, that's health and social care, the police, fire, ambulance service, 
um, but, but also essential retail and also essential finance as well. I mean, it goes right across the, 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 the field, um, and it's very important those services um, continue. We've also got some very vulnerable children who will need some accommodation. So certainly the Department of Education, Sport and Culture will be working with the Department for, for Health and Social Care to see what we can put together for next week. We're obviously going to watch the situation over the weekend and see how it hopefully improves or, but, but develops. And we will need to get something into place so that those key workers can go back to work next week and can keep those services going. Before I bring in, I don't know if there's anything David would like to add to that, but I just want to be clear, we cannot see the numbers that we've been having of recent. In the first lockdown, we only had about 300 pupils using our schools in April of last year. In January, we're up to 600. At the start of this week, when we um, locked down, we were 800. And, and, and clearly, that's not acceptable. We don't have that many people that need their children to um, go into the schools. It really must be for absolutely key um, services where, where people have no other, other, other care and they're providing a really important frontline service, as Alex has just described. David, was there anything you wanted to ask? You're on that committee too. Yeah, it's just it's just really to say, Chief Minister, that the hub schools really do need to be focused on those who have to deliver essential services to the island. So I know it's frustrating for many families and it's not easy having the children at home and trying to potentially work from home at the same time. But for the time being, it is important that we cut the transmission chain within young people. Um, we have seen a transmission chain with the, and again, there's anecdotal evidence, which is still building with the Kent variants, that in terms of children, passing it to each other um, there is some transmission there it's still perhaps lower than adults but there is more transmission than there was perhaps with the previous um, variant of COVID so it is important that we try to minimise interactions as much as possible and I think that that will be the crucial thing to us actually break it preventing further onward transmission and bringing this particular um, bout of COVID to an end. Thanks for that Dave. Jim, your next question. Can I, so sorry, I meant to do this at the beginning, seek just a clarification before my next question, because the Director of Public Health said 160 active cases and the Health Minister said 163. And we don't really want a debate rumbling on social media about that this evening. So to have some clarification on that, please. Okay. Um, well, David. The, figure, the figures I've got with me, Tim, which I was hand, which I was given at 3.14 this afternoon show 163, 161 in the community and two in hospital. Um, but I, maybe, the, maybe the Director of Public Health has a more updated figure than I do. No, you're absolutely right. I've got um, a less updated figure than you. My figure was from 10am, but my figure is the only one that has so far been broken down into all the categories that I was able to take us through. So I should maybe have just started off by saying as at 10am this morning, but that is the, the situation for the figures that I ran through. That was based on the 160 cases that had been identified at that point. And having been watching the um, lab feed that goes on through the day announcing the new cases, I am aware, like you, that we've had extra cases during the day bringing us up to the revised figure, and no doubt it will have gone higher before the end of the day. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. Tim, thanks for that. Uh, second question. Uh, you've said, obviously, this uh, latest lockdown has been driven by the Kent variant, but you've always in the past said that the strain would never dictate the response. So I just want to question the response, really. Uh, has it been 
in a box like we've had the other lockdowns before. So you treat it that way. You've got a pattern or people just are coming to me saying it seems very reactive this time rather than proactive. Do we need to be a little bit more nimble and flexible? Well, I would, I would say that we've, we've shut down pretty quick, Tim, we're compared with other jurisdictions with, with this one. We're, we're, we're learning all the time, first and foremost, and we had prepared a light-touch COVID-19, ready to go straight away, where we allowed as many businesses to carry on work. Obviously, we've got to be concerned about the economy, people's mental health, etc. However, um, this has the Kent variant has moved incredibly quick and, and we had to be very quickly and, and, and reactive to this. So, but while still trying to enable people to go about their, their lives as much as possible and, and carry on their businesses. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, none of us are perfect. We, we're doing our very best here to, to, to deal with this. The Kent variant is highly transmissible and we've got to, you know, be ready for that. And we've, we've tried to prepare for that and, and learn from other jurisdictions. And one of the reasons we moved so fast last night is that we'd seen what had happened to our good friends in Guernsey when they had uh, a similar outbreak and the closing of all the hub schools, etc., was something that they also did too. I don't know, um, David or Alex, if you want to add to that. Um, no, 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 Chief Minister. I mean, I, I think what we've tried to do from the experience of the last two lockdowns is learn lessons to, to nuance the reaction. reaction. We had, as, as you say, a whole range of um, measures that we could bring in this time. It became quite obvious by Monday night that really the way the number of cases was accelerating wasn't like anything we'd seen before in the last two lockdowns. And so that's why we've had to, to react very quickly and decisively, try to get on top of the situation very quickly, as opposed to, to last time of bringing in things far more gradually. And David, anything? Yeah, yeah, I think an important point to make, Chief Minister, is I think we did act very quickly and very decisively. On Saturday, when we realised there was an issue last Saturday, we immediately advised places that we, the, the, you know, should abandon events. But, but everything then, was all right on Sunday, though, Minister. And then, it, yeah, but what, but what we see is things gradually build with this, term, and that's the thing. And as soon as that situation changed, which was Monday, then basically we shut down. Because we have to remember, the cases we are seeing coming into the system now aren't brand new infections. They are from people who are now presenting symptomatically um, and are being wider tested which would have been seeded in the community probably over well over a week ago. Um, so, we've, so we're going to continue to see an uptick of numbers because it takes, as I spoke about in the first outbreak last year, where I spoke about the fact it takes five to eight days for things to feed into the data because of the incubation periods and the way COVID operates. So the actual effects of the measures we brought in on Monday, for instance, won't really feed in and actually be seen in the data until probably around about Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. Um, with the Kemp variant being more transmissible, like I say, we managed, I think, to react pretty quickly. Um, there was criticism on Saturday for us advising places to close um, in some quarters. And I think now it's shown that it was a justified decision to make. And I think we did act quite quickly and decisively. And as soon as the problem emerged on Monday, again, councillor ministers met on multiple occasions, including late at night, and took the decisions necessary. Yeah. Before I move on to Alex, I'd just like to point out, Tim, that on Sunday we had received um, data that every person 
who had been deemed a high risk had been tested off the um, when we thought we had a problem on Saturday, and they'd all come back as negative, and that's why we felt it was okay to lift the restrictions and tell people to go their normal life on Sunday. However, the way this virus works, it it hit back on Monday, and we realised we had to go for the the full um, lockdown, which which we did. Anyway, next we have Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Thank you. Just to pick up on a point which I raised at yesterday's conference with the Health Minister, I've been contacted today by a number of people who are very concerned about the amount of time it's taking for them to get booked in for a test. We appreciate there is a, an overwhelming demand on testing services at the moment, but just wondering at what point will you consider it prudent to increase the testing capacity on the Isle of Man? David, would you like to come in on that? Yeah, I'm happy to come in on that. Um, the issue really is around getting people booked in, Alex. As you know, 111 has been under a lot of pressure. Um, the testing capacity is 840. We can up that to 1,000 if necessary. But there has also been pressures in the system with a large volume of people having to be booked. I know additional resources being given to 111 so that they can contact people and arrange the testing. Um, so it's not necessarily the swabbing capacity. The lab has been continuing to operate and there is capacity there. But we've got to get people arranged, booked in. And that has caused problems because of the sheer volume with the schools that have been have to done at any one time. But I know 111 has got additional resource in place um, and people are being booked in. Thank you. Um, so a question for the Education Minister as well, if I may. Um, Dr Allenson, it's been two weeks since we had our first case of COVID here and that quickly spread to young people. Did the department miss a crucial opportunity to take action on schools? Well, the, the first case in, in a young person was picked up on Monday night. That's four days ago. And we have acted decisively since then to close down schools and adopt the hub system initially, which was part of our plan. And then, unfortunately, last night, with the increasing number of cases in young people, we needed to go further. So I think you have to put this in perspective. Previous to that, those young people who contracted coronavirus were actually already in self-isolation with their household groups. Monday night was the first time we actually got a case in a young person that wasn't identified to a previous case. And that's why we had to take decisive action and actually close down our education service, move completely now to, to remote learning. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Alex. Next question we have is Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Uh, my first question, please, is for Mr. Ashford. Um, Minister, with regard to the vaccination uh, programme problems which you spoke of yesterday, now I understand the GP's computer system, EMIS, is able to categorise patients automatically, whereas the DHSC is using Medway, which is the hospital system, um, which is unable to communicate with EMIS. So, and I, I think you confirmed this pre-briefing actually, the department has asked GPs to gather information for categories of people to send for manually. Now this, you would imagine, has the capacity to introduce errors and assumes the data has been entered correctly. Um, are you confident that any problems that arise can be quickly overcome? 
Yes, I am. Um, we've asked for a manual check to be done of the GP's records, and I'd like to thank the GPs for working with us. Um, this is a mass immunisation programme, um, vaccination, sorry, vaccination programme, I should say, um, that has never been seen in, this, in human history on this scale. Um, so at a stressful time, I would like to thank the GPs for working with us to make sure that their patients can be protected. The EMAS system um, is the data system for the GPs. They are the data owners um, of that data, not DHSC. And DHSC, as you rightly say, uses Medway. My understanding is that it's drawn from EMAS, the list of patients, and it's an issue with, um, with the actual system itself and its searching facility. Um, I need to st absolutely stress this is not an issue of the GPs. The GPs have done absolutely nothing wrong in this process. Um, in fact, they are, you know, they are working hard to help us to make sure that everyone is accounted for. But it is an issue, I believe, with the software itself. So, I've, so we've asked for a manual um, check to be done just to make sure that every single person is being picked up. And we are also not just doing that with the over 70s, but also doing it with the next cohort as well to make absolutely sure this does not repeat. Um, and I, once again, I can only apologise for anyone who feels they have been missed. Um, the vaccination letters will go out to them. And also, it will not substantially delay their vaccine, because as I've said, we are upping the numbers of people we're vaccinating um, a thousand a day for five days from next week, and also should be the following week. And therefore, and since next week is already fully booked through registrants anyway, it would not have delayed them. They will still get an appointment at the time they would have done if the letter had been received. Thank you. And secondly, for the Chief Minister, if I may, um, Chief Minister, it relates to the rules and regulations which have been updated and were talked about earlier. Are children from separated partners still able to move between parents' houses if there is a child in the other house that already lives there? Yes, absolutely, Simon. It's the same as it was in the last um, lockdown. If you're um, divorced, separated, and you have parental rights to have your child for a certain period of time, then you are allowed to move the child to the other parent. Um, however, we ask, obviously, you don't go in the house, you drop the um, child off at the door and, and let them go in. You, you don't go in and mix yourself, but yes, the child is allowed to, to uh, move between parents. And this was what we did in the um, second circuit break too, Simon. But thank you very much. It's a good point to clarify to, to let everyone know that that can happen. Okay, next we have is Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Fast am I. Uh, fast am I, Chief Minister. We've heard from parents that some of their children have had what are not classical symptoms for COVID. So I bow to the expertise of either of the doctors on this in terms of are there any other symptoms that people may see in children besides the classical ones? And what is the best treatment they can give them in terms of home um, things they may have at home, for instance, like paracetamol, ibuprofen? What should they give them? What should they avoid? Right, well, I've got Dr. Ewart here. I think best to go first. Thank you, Chief Minister. Um, yes, so first off, symptoms in children. And yes, in young children, actually, similarly to the elderly, the symptoms may be a bit more nonspecific and less, you know, the classic symptoms that we expect from COVID. So whilst things like temperature are still a common feature, a child may not be able to report whether or not they have a change in their sense of taste or smell because they may not kind of be able to think 
that through if they're quite young. Um, and they may also not have quite such prominent features such as the cough. A lot of them do, actually. A lot of them do present with the new onset continuous cough. But others will present with the more non-specific things, um, you know, aches and pains, flu-y symptoms, um, diarrhea, nausea, that kind of thing, um, which indeed can also happen in adults. But the atypical presentation is more likely, as I say, both in the very young and in the, the very old. So if a parent is concerned, um, the best thing to do is to ring 111 to go through um, the clinical symptoms. Have to be a little bit careful about advising that too strongly, because if everybody who has a child who has any symptom at all rings 111, they will get very overburdened and that will necessarily deflect them from dealing with the people who are ringing in with the core symptoms of COVID, who therefore are much more likely to have COVID. But as always, if anyone is worried about symptoms in their child, you do need to report it and, and get help and support because children can get very ill very quickly, particularly the little ones. So nobody should be staying at home and worrying if they actually are concerned. They should contact their GP usually in the first instance or meds out of hours. Um, or if they do think it's likely to be COVID, particularly, for example, if they've been identified as a close contact, then 111. Um, in terms of simple remedies, it's the usual advice, really, of Calpol for, for children. Um, keep them you know, well hydrated and comfortable. Um, and that's really about it in the same way as it would be for any viral illness. OK, thank you. OK, thanks very much. Sam, you know, I don't, won't bother asking Dr. Allenson that. I think that was quite a thorough yeah. um, description. So, Sam, your next question. Um, just secondly, you said about um, limiting the number of people going into offices to a very minimum. We also have to think of in Guernsey, they closed takeaways as well. Is this a measure that the Council of Ministers has considered? Well, obviously, it's always best to, to learn and see what worked and look, look and look at what all the jurisdictions do. Yes, we did discuss that today, and we didn't think it was necessary. We're not convinced it worked um, in Guernsey, and an awful lot of people do rely, um, I'm not saying can't cook, won't cook, but an awful lot of people do rely on food being delivered to their house to keep their families going. And we feel that as long as those people doing the deliveries and we are asking them to make sure they wear masks, they don't hand the food over, they, they put it at the doorstep and they're washing their hands regularly, coughing into the crook of their arm or, or a hanky, etc. As long as they follow good hygiene, then it will be okay. So we're, we're not looking at, at stopping home deliveries at this moment in time. I don't know, um, David, if you want to add anything or, or Dr Hewitt on that. Yeah, if I, if I may, Chief Minister, um, you know, there are people, particularly when we have people who are in self-isolation at the moment and quite large numbers of people who will be reliant on takeaways. We did consider this and looked at what, a, what an experiment was tried in down in Guernsey. To be perfectly frank, I mean, takeaway food delivery should be contactless anyway at the moment. Um, so the, the, the risk is actually minimal from that. So it could actually cause a higher impact on people, particularly with large numbers self-isolating, so who can't go out shopping than what you would actually achieve by removing it. We've got no evidence of transmission, um, and Western Director of Public Health can correct me. I, I, I'm not aware, even in the previous two occasions last year and in January, of any form really of transmission from takeaway deliveries. So it was seen as actually causing more problems than it would actually fix if we were to go down that route. And I'll bring in the Director of Public Health. 
Thank you, Minister. Yes, absolutely agree with what you've just said. In terms of deliveries in general, so whether it's takeaway, a letter, a parcel, whatever, um, there is actually no evidence from anywhere to show that any actual specific transmission event has happened as a result of that. There's a theoretical possibility because virus has been shown to survive on surfaces, but it has not been linked to any actual real-world transmission. Uh, in terms of thinking about takeaways and the fact that they're prepared food, um, again, there is no evidence that there has ever been foodborne transmission um, in the same way that there is, you know, obviously we're familiar with food poisoning episodes and that those are sometimes linked to restaurants or catering outlets. Um, we don't have any evidence of that for COVID. Um, so I suppose, you know, that the guidance is exactly as the minister said, it should be no touch. Um, the delivery should be being left outside your door. The delivery person should be right back at the curbside before you come out and get it. Uh, when you take it in, if you're particularly concerned, you can always wipe a, a sanitizing wipe over the surfaces to make sure that you've removed any risk from that, but the risk from that would be low. Thank you. Thanks, hey. very, thanks very much, Sam. Now we move on to Paul Moulton of Alaman Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good afternoon. I want to make sure I've got this right. Friday, a teacher proved positive. It was announced on Saturday. At that point over the weekend, it was the Ken variant was identified, I think. But help me out on this timeline, because on Monday, again, we and I, that's a question I asked at the time, schools were going back to school except for certain classes when clearly if it was identified at that stage we should have had all classes cancelled all schools stopped you said going in hard and fast was your policy and it hasn't been that way this is a bullet that we could have dodged is it not right i'll ask alex to um um Yes, to I tell you about that, Alex. So, certainly, Chief Minister. Um, you're, you're, you're slightly incorrect, Paul. I mean, what, what we've been clear on doing from um, the Department of Education, Sport and Culture's point of view and the entire government's point of view is reacting to evidence and, and data. On Friday night, we did identify somebody who works in a school as being a positive case. However, they don't work in the school during the school time. They work out of hours. They were um, a contact traced, and it was judged that they were not in contact with any children at the school during that time, and that was classed as low risk. Furthermore, because that was on a Friday, we've then gone 72 hours with that school. Um, the the um, head teacher was was alerted. I understand. We put in measures to to reassess the risk for that school on Monday morning, and again, there was not seen to be a significant risk to close that school down. Um, so to put the chronology right, again, we've got cases of coronavirus coming into the school rather than necessarily the school being a source of infection. The reason we had to take decisive action last night was that a change, that now the concern was that people were actually going into schools that were open and there was the risk that they would get the infection there and bring it out into the community. And so that was the change last night that unfortunately made us take this decisive action to close down the childcare and, and education service. Let me just put this in. Do you regret not shutting schools on Monday? What we did on Monday is make a good assessment of the risk involved. When we found that a case of a child who'd attended school on Monday evening after the school had, sh had shut, we closed schools down the next day in a phased approach that had been agreed with the teachers and which is the right way of doing it. 
Last night was different because of the real and present um, concern that we had widespread cases through a whole range of locations, and that's why we had to act an awful lot quicker last night than we did on Monday night. Okay, a second question. Uh, Gary Roberts, Chief Constable, isn't one for doing interviews and saying things unless he actually, I think, has to. He's, he's broken ranks, I, I believe, here that to say that there's a major problem in the police force. They've got lots of people off, and I've had many calls myself about this today. I mean, this is frontline workers. Once the steam packet were allowed to have jabs, you've opened up that door, surely to allow bus drivers, taxi drivers, the police, ambulance, whatever. The, the, the chance to have that, do that dosage now, and if I can suggest, donate a dose might come in fashionable if it's even possible. Some per person may not want to take their dose, but donate it to a police officer. Is that something to think about? No, I, I, well, I'll, I'll bring in others on this one too, Paul, but I think it's important to say that the vaccine will, if we were to vaccinate all the people based on the island um, who, who do our emergency services ahead of our more vulnerable, we would not stop them necessarily getting COVID-19. We wouldn't stop them necessarily spreading it on COVID-19. They would have to isolate. The The, the reason was uh, that we gave it to the steam packers, that they were mixing with people who were on and off from the United Kingdom, the, the different crew. And we were concerned about um, the resilience there. So obviously, if, if a policeman or a police lady or a nurse or a doctor, they've thought, um, if they have beat the criteria to have already had a vaccine then they will they will get it we are moving quickly through our, our vaccination process now and um, we, we hope with the extra 10,000 vaccines and a thousand a day that we can quickly give the support to all of our emergency services but it, it has to be remembered that the vaccine is there to protect the life of the individual who is really at risk of potentially dying or getting seriously ill from um, COVID-19. I don't know, David, if you'd like to expand on that and maybe Dr. Ewart. Yes, thank you, Chief Minister. This goes back to what we discussed at yesterday's briefing, Paul, um, around the way the vaccine programme is set up. The vaccine programme is not based on someone's likelihood of contracting COVID-19. It is based on their vulnerability, should they contract it. So the priority groups are around those who are most likely to become seriously ill or die from COVID. And it is important we stick to that. It's not possible for people to donate a dose. Um, if people do, people can't do that, the dose is for them because they have been prioritised according to their needs, either be it age vulnerability or medical vulnerability. Now, in terms of resilience in workplaces, the vaccine doesn't assist with that because, as the Chief Minister has said, the vaccine protects the person from becoming seriously ill, but it does not stop them contracting COVID-19. And although there is very welcome news coming out of studies that it reduces transmission, it does not remove transmission. So, for instance, if we use the police scenario, even if you had the entire police force vaccinated, they can still contract COVID-19. And were they to contract it, they would still have to isolate so we're in the same way as people do now. So it does not actually help with the resilience of the police force having the police force vaccinated. If there are officers that have underlying medical conditions or by nature of their age are vulnerable to COVID-19, they will be prioritised for vaccination because they fall within the vulnerable groups. Um, and that's the same across all key worker groups. And I'll bring in the Director of Public Health in case she's got anything she would like to add. Thank you, Minister. That was very comprehensive and very well explained. And I, I don't have anything that I can usefully add. Thank you. 
Yeah. Well, let me just come back quickly. The chief constable does not do that lightly going into the public domain. He's got no officers, potentially, in a few weeks' time. You're asking the police to police without any policemen, if that makes any sense. You understand? You're, they're the frontline people to, to make these laws that you're bring, bringing in to be obeyed. And the, they clearly have got an issue with uh, staffing numbers at the minute. Yeah, absolutely, and I share the the chief constable's concerns, Paul. Um, it, it's it'll be the same with the fire brigade, with the ambulance service, the prison service, uh, and other areas. You know, we this is uh, a serious threat to the island, and we will do our best to to give what support we can to the the police force. But we we've not seen any evidence that by vaccinating them now we will stop the the reduction in officers having to isolate. It, it, it's a it, it's a you know, it's a dreadful position to be in. I understand the Chief Constable's concerns. He's quite right to be very concerned about his workforce and looking after their interests. And if we thought there was something that we could do from a vaccination point that would help solve the situation, then of course we would do our best to look after our hard-working police service who are at the front line. But as I think as the health minister has clearly stated, that won't stop them from catching it and they would still have to isolate but share your concerns. I know, David, if you want to have a, a final say on this. Yeah, yes, if I can, Chief Minister, I'll keep it very, very brief. Um, but I think, Paul, what we're talking about there in terms of uh, pressures of staffing, and it is a concern, I, I share the Chief Constable's concerns on that as well, we've got similar concerns in health. The answer to that isn't necessarily vaccination. The answer to that may be testing pathways where people, as we've done with other groups of workers, can potentially come out of isolation earlier if we have, if we they have certain mitigations of testing pathways, and if we end with key end up with key services under pressure, that's the sort of route that I think we need to look at. It's not vaccine that will actually fix that. It's potentially testing pathways. So you're going to offer that service to the police and the fire brigade and whatever if they need it. It, it, well, like I say, if required, we would have to speak to them and we would have to work up a solution. Um, we similarly will have to do so in health if the resilience, for whatever reason, um, comes under pressure. But there has always been the ability for us to look at testing pathways. We use testing pathways for various groups of key workers, which allows them to go to work and then back into isolation um, at the home after they've completed their job. And we would have to look to see what we could put in place to ensure services keep running. Okay, thanks very much, Paul. Now we move on to last but not least, I should say, Helen McKenna from Alaman Newspapers. Good afternoon, Helen. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. My question is probably for the Health Minister, but Dr. Ewart, um, this kind of draws on what Paul was saying really about priority groups for vaccinations. Will under 16s be vaccinated sooner than plans due to the massive increase in this age group? Well, I'll, I'll bring the Director of Public Health in in a moment. At the moment, the vaccine still isn't recommended um, for that particular age group. Um, there's, there's trials going on at the moment, so it may well change and they may well be recommended. When we have built into our, um, into our vaccination programme the ability to do so, so we hear when I've announced key dates, when I've mentioned about, for instance, the June, July date for the entire population, that would be including children for their first dose if it is recommended for them at that stage. So we, at the moment, the advice is that anyone under that age group shouldn't be vaccinated, um, but that may well change as with everything that gets changed. And I'll bring the Director of Public Health in. Thank you, Minister. Yes, yet, yet again, you've um, covered everything very, very well there. 
Um, the issue is, of course, that the trials that led to the regulatory bodies authorising the vaccines that we currently have, those trials, um, the AstraZeneca trial did not include anybody under 16 and the Pfizer trial didn't include anybody under 18. I think I've got it the right way around. I might have muddled it, but you, you get the point. The trial data that we currently have doesn't cover children and young people and the authorizations don't cover children and young people for the same reason. So the trials, as the minister said, are underway. Um, when we get the results of those and the regulatory bodies, if they accept the results of those as proving that the vaccines are safe and effective in younger people, then vaccine schedules will be changed and we will offer it to children and young people. Thank you. Thank you. My second question is probably for the Chief Minister. What would have to happen for government to declare a new state of emergency? I suppose it really would be the um, number of unexplained cases in the community. We're getting a lot of cases at the moment, but a considerable percentage of them are high-risk contacts who are already isolating from the original um, case that, that we found. So, um, <coughs> sorry about that. So, if we get a significant increase, and it's sort of stabilised the last couple of days, the number of unexplained cases in the community, if we get a significant spread of those cases and they're in high-risk settings, shall we say, then obviously we would have to review the situation. I know, David, you would like to come in on that. Yeah, if I may, Chief Minister, the state of emergency, we have to remember that was there last year. That was a legislative tool because the, the, at the time, the only legislation we had where we could bring in regulations quickly um, and efficiently was under the Emergency Powers Act of 1936. Now, that requires, in order to activate that, an emergency proclamation from the uh, proclamation of emergency, sorry, from the governor. Um, and that was the mechanism in place. That's why a state of emergency was declared so that we could bring in regulations under that act. Since then, we've amended a piece of legislation, the Public Health Act 1990, um, that allows for regulations to be brought in under that. And that's what we've been using. So we would only really go back to a, an actual physical declaration of emergency if we needed to do something that the Public Health Act as amended doesn't allow us to do but doing regulations under the Emergency Powers Act would allow us to do. Um, but mo we don't need an actual physical proclamation of emergency this time because we have other legislative tools that we'd put in place to future-proof us that we are able to use at the moment. Just drawing on the unexplained cases, can you tell me how many, since this lockdown began, uh, how many unexplained cases have there been? So it's in total, including the of the active cases we've currently got, there's 24 um, unexplained cases on the figures I have. Um, so, so locally acquired, but without with, with source um, unknown. So at the moment, it's 24. Is that since lockdown began? Is that the exact number? So that, that's of our active cases. So that includes the ones, the cases at the start. So those early cases as well. So that's pre-lockdown. If you remember, we had a handful of cases where we didn't actually know where they'd come from. So that includes those. One of the encouraging things, though, and you've given me an opportunity to say it, is obviously yesterday we had 21 unknown. It's gone today to 24. 
So most of the cases we are starting to pick up now are people that we have identified potentially as high-risk contacts and isolated. Um, but like I say, the measures we've introduced this week, it'll take to the middle of next week for the effect of them to be seen. So people should be prepared that they will be continuing to see um, case numbers rising until the, the effect of those measures comes through in the data. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much, um, Helen, and thank you all very much for your questions. Thank you for everything you are doing. Right now, the message is simple. Stay at home. This is the best thing you can do for your island and the essential services that keep us safe. The more people stay at home, the quicker we can bring this outbreak under control. It is in all our hands. If you do have to go out, please wear a face covering as much as possible. If you feel any symptoms, please self-isolate and call 111 as soon as possible. Respect the rules and we will get through this. Please make the right decisions for you, your family and your island. Thank you all very much. I hope you have a nice weekend. Bye-bye.